Good afternoon, Memorial Baptist friends and family, and welcome back to our midweek edition of our podcast for December 2nd, 2020. By the way, there are only three more weekends until Christmas. (laughs) I hope you're having a great week. I know I am. Uh, Today's my birthday, and um, so happy birthday to me. And, um, you know, it's a it's a special thing to to be able to grow older. And um, okay, I turned 56 this week, but uh, what a blessing it is. And I'm thankful to have a wife that loves me and puts up with me and uh, some wonderful children uh, and grandchildren that that adore me. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for my parents um, who brought me into this world and uh, trained me upright. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, you know, last weekend we celebrated Thanksgiving, and I hope that you enjoyed the time uh, that you had maybe with your respective families. Tracy and I celebrated Thanksgiving with our five children and their spouses and grandchildren, as well as my, my mom and my dad. And there were 17 of us in all. And what a great blessing for us to see, you know, four generations all in the same place. We had a great time, a really good time, and I must say, uh, all the food was scrumptious. <laughs> of course, yeah, yeah, you know who the cook was. Um, but it was great, and I'm so thankful for that time and just to be able to be together. Um, I want to say thank you, Memorial, uh, for, for, for passing our uh, 2021 proposed ministry budget last Sunday. Uh, you know, I'm so very thankful um, to be called the pastor at Memorial and, and thankful for everyone who attends and, and prays and gives and, and serves in the body of Christ at Memorial. Uh, thank you, each one, for your continued faithfulness to God and to Memorial. You know, your giving this year has been stellar uh, and a tremendous blessing, even during these difficult days and the craziness of 2020. Um, You know, as we think into the future, uh, I want to say especially into this next year, um, our finance team, our personnel committee in conjunction with our budget committee and deacon body, um, they sense God leading memorial to, to make three additions to our annual staff budget. Um, that will help make a greater kingdom impact for Memorial and for our community uh, in 2021. Uh, Just allow me, if you will, to talk just a few minutes about these three areas and our plan moving forward. Uh, I'll try to be brief. Um, Our ministry has been growing noticeably uh, with little ones, babies and toddlers. And one of the areas that's very important to young couples and parents is the preschool area. We believe that a dedicated preschool minister uh, staff position uh, is needed to concentrate specifically on these little ones, Uh, on their parents and their educational area is something that we really need help uh, in order for our church to grow and and minister to our community. So uh, this position will be a part-time position um, to begin with. Um, I don't have... um, someone in mind for that at this point, but we put it in the budget. Uh, we would like to see that uh, come to fruition. And so we will be looking for um, 
what God has us uh, for us concerning that. The second area that we sense needing uh, to be addressed is is in building and grounds maintenance. And as our compass and, and building slowly age, uh, we find ourselves needing more maintenance uh, in different areas. You know, paint or repairs, landscaping, uh, heating, air conditioning, um, plumbing, lighting, uh, electrical, mowing, and, and a host of other challenges that, that, that just need constant attention. Um, our leadership uh, has put into our budget for next year a contract labor maintenance position. And um, after the first of the year, um, I'm happy to to bring on board a par excellence uh, handyman. Uh, Brother Joel Shoemate um, will take on this new role of helping maintain our campus facilities. Uh, We're looking forward to, to working with Joel in this new capacity. And uh, I know that he's going to do a great job at it. Again, it's a, it's a part-time contract labor maintenance position. Um, the third area that we sense God working in is our worship. Memorial has a rich tradition in regards to our, our worship time and, and, and public worship, if you will. Um, this is another area that is also very important to each of us as believers in Christ. Um, we, we love our, our time of worship, of adoration of, of Jesus Christ. You know, Macy and Kyle Tanner have been serving Memorial over the, the past couple of years, two to three years. I'm, not, uh, I'm trying to remember when they, exactly they came on. But um, <clears throat> they have done an outstanding job of stepping up and leading our congregation in worship. I believe that they have taught Memorial a lot about what inspiring worship is and what worshiping in spirit and in truth looks like. Uh, They they have served diligently, uh, consistently, and faithfully. Uh, For a good deal of that time, they received no monetary compensation just a volunteer position. Uh, They truly deserve our deep gratitude and appreciation as well as any commendations that we could give them. I'm very grateful to them for their work and service to the Lord here at Memorial. For some time now, they have sensed God moving them uh, to take a step back from leading uh, week to week in our worship. Um, They would still probably be involved at some level, but uh, just not uh, on a week-to-week basis of leading out. Um, And they've also been sensing that we need someone to be leading from that area in in a full-time capacity. Um, You know, if if worship is, uh, I want to say, the weekly main event, then we need somebody uh, there to to coordinate that and to, to lead that and to lead our people. And um, it, it's a key area. Um, so knowing the, the bigger picture helps. Um, I've been working quietly behind the scenes uh, to add to the ministry at Memorial um, this, this 
key role, uh, this position. And um, knowing that they were wanting to step back and knowing that, that things are, are uh, you know, going to be changing at, at some level, um, I've been working to, uh, with a young man who is very gifted in leading worship. Uh, he's an exceptional young man. Um, I'm thankful for him, and um, he's not foreign to our church. He's been to our church before. He's he's led uh, on, on wor- in worship on a Sunday morning or two. Um, his his name is Dallas Holston, and uh, he's been serving uh, at Victory Life Church, uh, Baptist Church in in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, he's been there for the past several years. And Dallas is is committed to leading people to God through the worship ministry. Uh, He's also a very capable uh, person with sound and uh, video and video editing uh, with a background in in both of these areas. And, um, you know, we've been praying for Dallas for some time, and and we believe that Dallas can help us excel in, in all areas of ministry as we look to the future uh, with our in-person worship at Memorial, uh, while at the same time having a continued online presence. Uh, moving forward, I, I, I sense it's going to be both and, not just one or the other. And so with the, the consensus of our personnel committee, uh, our our church staff and our church leadership, we're considering him uh, for uh, our full-time worship pastor position, staff position. Um, obviously, this won't uh, take effect until next year and in, in with uh, the new budget and, and that kind of thing. Um, Dallas and his wife, Caitlin, uh, will be here with us on uh, December the 13th um, to lead us in worship. Uh, in in view of a call uh, from Memorial. And we are delighted to see what God is going to do in and through our church uh, in 2021. And I would just encourage you to keep praying for us as we continue to minister uh, during these difficult times. I would ask uh, that we, you know, when we gather for worship in person, that we remember to wear our masks and to social distance, and to make sure that we're following our protocols so that we can protect our our most vulnerable. Um, If you're not able to worship with us in person, please check out our new and improved live stream on our NBC Temple YouTube channel that premieres on Sundays at 1045 a.m. And uh, this is a live feed, so you can watch our service online uh, as it's happening. And uh, what a blessing it is to have that online presence. You know, before we get into our scripture passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 11 today, I would like for us to to pray together. And I would ask that you would pray with me as, as I lead us in prayer. Loving Father, I thank you for our nation. I thank you for um, living in this country and the freedoms that we enjoy. I pray, Father, that you would uh, bring our nation back to you. I pray, Father, that that your people, who are called by your name, would humble themselves and pray and seek your face, and then we would hear from heaven, and, and Father, that you would heal our land. 
Father, how we need that, how we need our country unified, how we need our country um, pulling together in the same direction. Father, I pray that you would preserve this union. I ask, Father, that you would continue to show yourself mighty in our country and in our state and in our church and in our home. Father, I want to lift up our homebound members to you. Father, I know that um, it's been very difficult on these days of of sheltering in and and quarantining and, and not being able to get out and do the things that we used to do. I pray, Father, for a special presence, your presence, to be with them uh, even now in this moment, Father, that they would sense uh, your presence with them. Father, I I lift up and ask for comfort for those who are grieving. Um, I know there's been uh, several deaths in in, uh, some of our our congregation's families, um, some of our staff families. So I just pray that you would comfort those who are grieving. Father, I pray for healing for those who are, are dealing with illness and, and surgeries and, and struggling through that. I'm asking for comfort though, for those who are struggling emotionally. And Father, for those who are uh, groping around in spiritual darkness, I pray that their eyes would be opened and Father, they would see the light of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for the salvation of souls. I ask God that you would draw them to yourself. Father, that you would make it where they could not say no to you. Father, I lift up our neighbors, those who live around us, and I I pray that the light of Christ would come into their lives. I'm praying, Father, for the souls of men and women. Father, I lift up to you the ministries of Memorial Baptist Church. I pray, Father, that you would be with these new staff positions. I pray, Father, that as we, as we grow and as we move forward and as we um, prepare the church uh, for, for the future, I pray, Father, that you would just be in and through all of it, that you would give us wisdom. Father, that you would give us confirmation. Father, that you would guide us and lead us. Lord Jesus, I lift up our staff to you. Father, any time we take a step of faith, Father, we know that the enemy does not like that. And he doesn't like that we are relying upon you, Lord Jesus. And so I pray for our staff. I pray that you would anoint them. And Father, that you would give them wisdom as they minister to people. And Father, that you would just show yourself mighty. Uh, Father, give us power with you and power with people as we seek to be your kingdom people and to share the light of Jesus Christ all over this area and around the world. Father, I pray for our budget. Father, apart from you, we can't do it. So I ask God that you would put it on people's hearts to give to the ministry here. Father, that that this would be the, the, the storehouse. And Father, that we would bring the tithes into the storehouse. Father, that you would bless us in that way and that we would give not only a portion back to you, but God, that we would give over and above. Father, that we would give sacrificially so that your kingdom would move forward. Father, thank you for all that you do every single day for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our church families. Thank you for the the air we breathe and the meals that we eat that you provide, Father. It all comes from you. And so we just say thank you. 
Father, guide us as we study your word. Your Holy Spirit is our teacher and our guide. So I ask that you would show us the truth of your word. God, we love you and we praise you. Guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to read verses uh, 30 and 31. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. And um, it's just a couple of, of, of small verses, short verses, if you will. Read those in just a minute. Um, you know, John Gardner, he wrote, uh, We are faced with a series of great opportunities, brilliantly disguised as insoluble problems. <laughs> what disguised opportunities do you face today? You know, some have trusted Christ as Savior, but have the disguised opportunity of some besetting sin that keeps bringing them down. They promise God that they won't do it again until only to repeat, repeatedly fail. Um, some are engulfed by problems in their marriages or maybe with their kids. They don't see any viable solutions. Some people struggle daily with serious health problems or personal problems. Some face problems at work. Others wish they had uh, work to have problems with. <laughs> uh, they struggle to make ends meet. Some have drifted into worldliness and spiritual apathy, and they don't even realize that they have a problem. But you know what? Churches have problems too, which are a conglomerate of all of the problems of their members. As a leader in Israel, after Moses' death, Joshua had a pile of disguised opportunities. He had to lead this fledgling nation to, of refugee slaves out of 40 years in the wilderness, across the Jordan River, into the Promised Land that happened to be filled with evil and violent giants. The first disguised opportunity was to conquer the fortified city of Jericho. God gave Joshua the, the plan for victory, and by faith, the walls of that fortress crumbled. Meanwhile, outside the city, a prostitute had a huge disguised opportunity. She had heard of, uh, excuse me, inside the city, uh, she had heard of how God had miraculously delivered this people from Egypt 40 years before. She heard how they had defeated two powerful kings on the other side of the river. She also knew that her city was next and that she and all of her family would, would perish unless somehow the God of the Jews, the God of heaven and earth, intervened on her behalf. Then the impossible happened. Two spies from that feared people came to lodge with her. She hid them from the authorities and they promised to spare her family and her if she followed their directions. By faith, she and her family did not perish when the city was destroyed. See, these two stories took place during the conquest of Jericho and they illustrate how God conquers our powerful enemies by faith, and he converts hopeless sinners by faith. Do you want to be a victorious Christian with a triumphant faith? You say, well, of course I do. Every Christian wants to, that for his life. Well, then if you want a triumphant faith, you have to exercise real faith. It's not enough to talk about faith. You have to actually believe God. And if you're ever going to see him supernaturally work in you and with you. You have to believe Him. See, faith is the key to a life of progressive victory in Christ. 
The Christian's life from beginning to end must be a life of faith in a supernatural working God. See, without faith, a Christian cannot progress in their spiritual life. No victories can be won, and no fruit can be manifested or born for for God's glory. In the children of Israel and Joshua, their leader, we have an example of a triumphant faith as God brought down the walls of Jericho. However, this faith did not just happen automatically. There were certain promises, precepts, and principles that, the, that Israel had to obey before the walls came tumbling down. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 says this. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. See, between Hebrews 29 and Hebrews uh, Hebrews 11.29 and Hebrews 11.30, there was a period of 40 years. Israel, 40 years before, saw God work a great victory for them at the Red Sea. But after that, they spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They wasted 40 years in the wilderness griping and complaining and moaning and, and, and murmuring because they refused to exercise faith in their supernatural working God, and God judged them for their unbelief. You know, if we go back to Joshua chapter 3, and it says, and the, and the priest who carried, verse 17, and the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. See, when a whole new generation of unbelieving Israelites died in the wilderness and a new generation rose up, God began to move in the people. And this new generation was ready to believe God and follow their leader Joshua into the promised land. To get into the promised land, they had to cross over the Jordan River and they did cross over by a miracle from God. The Jordan rolled back and the people went across on dry land. We see in the act of crossing the Jordan a real daring faith in the part of Israel. There was a risk involved when they crossed the Jordan because the moment Israel crossed the Jordan, they burned all their bridges behind them. They were cut off from the security of the wilderness where they had no enemies. In the new land, they had no houses to where they could retire and no fortress that they could retreat to. They were now in the enemy's territory, and victory or death were the only alternatives. See, by faith they went forward, not knowing how God was going to give them the land that He promised them, but only believing that God would somehow give them victory over the Canaanites. See, unbelief is hesitant and and fearful, but bold faith is confident and courageous. Faith takes risks and dares something for the Lord. Faith ventures out where unbelief refuses to go. God rebukes our timidity and reserves and reserve, but He abundantly blesses any believer who dares to step out in faith. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. See, it may be good to look before one takes a leap, but many look so long that they never leap at all. If we go back to Joshua chapter 6, it talks about this account of, of Jericho. 
And it says, now Jericho was tightly shut up. Excuse me. Now Jericho was tightly shut because the sons of Israel, no one went out and no one came in. The first major obstacle Israel faced after entering into the promised land was the godless and mighty walled city of Jericho. This was the enemy's leading fortress. They were undoubtedly thought to be quite invulnerable. And when Israel came across the Jordan, all the gates were closed. The people were on the inside. The city was prepared to defend itself. Men of war stood at their battle stations, and supplies were gathered for a siege. This city, by all human standards, was impregnable. It couldn't be conquered. This seemed to be a humanly impossible situation. Israel, by this time, had only limited trained army. They had no machines of war, no artillery to batter down the walls, and no equipment to scale the walls. But God did not tell Joshua and the sons of Israel to attack the city with carnal weapons of war, but to obey the commands of a supernatural working God. God gave some rather weird instructions for taking the city. The Israelites were to march around the city once each day for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites were to circle the city seven times. Accompanying the people were the priests with the Ark of the Covenant. And upon the seventh journey around the city, on the seventh day, the priests were to blow their trumpets and all the people were to shout. Who ever heard of a powerful fortress being completely destroyed in response to people walking around it and shouting at it? This is against all natural reasoning. But God's ways are not our ways. And when He gives instructions... He expects them to be kept whether we understand everything or not. Why? Because we are dealing with a supernatural working God who longs to have His people believe His promises, to believe His precepts and His principles so that He can work supernaturally for them. See, we all have our Jericho in life that seems invincible to us, but faith laughs at such impossibilities, knowing that God is sovereign and only has to speak a word. And these seemingly indestructible circumstances come tumbling down. All of the great missionary efforts have been accomplished by God through the faith of obedient Christians. We will never experience God's fullness and His Holy Spirit power by our disobedience. See, we must cast ourselves upon God who works supernaturally and trust Him to work for us. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by power, nor by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, we must learn to do God's work in God's way, and then we will receive God's blessing from heaven. Notice the discipline of faith in Joshua 6. Uh, verse 6 through 15. I mean, the people had, given, uh, had been given the directions of how to overthrow the city, but it wasn't enough to know the facts. They had to discipline themselves to obey the directions that God had given them. And by faith, they had to put into practice what God had taught them. The Israelites had to go forward and march around the city. 
See, faith, faith is believing God and going forward. It is better to go forward and make mistakes than to never go forward at all. So in verses 8 of Joshua 6 and following, it says, And so it was that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them, and the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, Shout, and then you shall shout. See, the children of Israel had to carry out all of the detailed instruction of the letter, uh, or, or God would not bring down the walls of Jericho. I think this is interesting because the people had to keep quiet for seven days. They couldn't utter a sound. Why? I mean, these Israelites had been notorious complainers and gripers for 40 years in the wilderness, and they always murmured in times of crisis. God wanted these people to learn that God works apart from all human wisdom and scheming. Furthermore, when two million people keep silent, this had to have a psychological impact on the people of Jericho. So the Israelites, they continued to discipline themselves and to do what God had commanded them to do. They walked around the city once a day for six days. Can you imagine that scene? I mean, there were hundreds of Canaanites standing on the wall and watching from towers, jeering and mocking and ridiculing the Israelites. I mean, they thought the Israelites to be childish, maybe crazy and surely stupid. And on the seventh day, Israel went around the wall seven times. Mind you, there's not so much as even a peep from the people of Israel. Then in a moment of time, Joshua gave an order and the trumpets blew and the people shouted and the walls came tumbling down. You know, many of the things that we do as Christians seem foolish to the world because it understands nothing about the supernatural working of God. See, if Israel had not explicitly obeyed God's commands, there never would have been a miracle. Without faith, the walls of Jericho would never have fallen. While God was God rewarded Israel's faith, it was not until they had gone around Jericho 13 times that the power of God was displayed. Their patience of faith was rewarded. Suppose on the third or fourth day they would have quit. The whole thing would have failed. But they knew that God had a plan and would achieve the impossible, so they waited patiently on God. But while faith, excuse me, while Israel was marching around Jericho that week, another drama was taking place inside one house in the city. A prostitute named Rahab was crowded into her house with her extended family, waiting anxiously to see what would happen. And her story condensed into one verse, shows us that God converts hopeless sinners by faith. Verse 31 in Hebrews 11 says this, it says, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient. 
after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Rahab's story is a wonderful exhibit of God's grace. It contains several lessons that I can only touch on briefly. I know time is moving on. Rahab was an unlikely candidate for salvation. You know, from a Jewish perspective, Rahab had three strikes against her. She was a woman, she was a Canaanite, and she was a prostitute. See, except for Abraham's wife, Sarah, Rahab is the only woman mentioned by name in Hebrews 11. You know, Jewish men would sanctimoniously pray, Lord, I thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile or a woman. But God saw fit to save this Gentile woman. But not only was Rahab a Gentile woman, she was also a prostitute. From earlier times, many commentators have tried to dodge this, saying that she was only an innkeeper or something. But the Hebrew and the Greek words are clear. She was a prostitute. And I've kind of wondered why these spies would go to a prostitute's house. Thomas Aquinas, he explained that they did not go there to sin, but because it was a good hiding place. I mean, such houses were open, especially at night. You know, when the men arrived... Uh, harlots received their guests without discrimination or without asking too many questions. And the king of Jericho seemed to accept uh, as normal that these men would visit her in the night and leave almost as quickly as they had arrived. But behind all of the spies' reasons for going to Rahab's house, understand this, it was God's purpose. Even though Rahab was an unlikely candidate for salvation. God's grace had reached down to her. The fact that she is called Rahab the harlot, even after her conversion, underscores God's abundant grace towards sinners. I mean, the spies did not know when they were there that God had a mission for them besides spying. But He did. And sometimes we go somewhere on an errand, maybe. But God has another purpose. To use us to lead to salvation someone whom we might call an unlikely candidate. See, Rahab's faith saved her from dying. God commanded Israel to kill everyone in Jericho. Modern critics would have been, um, who must have been wiser than God, think that God was cruel or that Joshua was mistaken to order the extermination of everyone in Canaan. But God had given the Canaanites 400 years to fill up the measure of their sin. And for 40 years on top of that, they had heard how God delivered Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea. For several years, they had heard how God had uh, defeated the Amorite kings, uh, Sihon and Og, on the other side of the Jordan. And for seven days, they had watched Israel march around their city. But they didn't repent of their sins. Only Rahab did and maybe her family. Rahab could have complained that God was unfair to judge her city. She no doubt lost many friends in the conquest. But instead, she knew that she deserved death for her evil lifestyle. She knew that the Lord God of Israel is, and I'm quoting out of Joshua 2.11, God in heaven above and on earth beneath. See, although the entire city trembled with fear of the impending attack, Their fear did not lead them to repentance and to faith. Rahab's fear led her to turn from her sin and to believe in God 
by faith, she did not, not perish along with those who were disobedient. Although she did not understand much theology, she had enough faith in the one true God to save her. Her past life of sin did not disqualify her from salvation. Praise God. God delights to save notorious sinners for His glory. See, Rahab's faith separated her from her disobedient people. Those who perished were called disobedient. They were not basically good people. I mean, they had heard God's, of God's power, but they refused to submit to Him. And they erroneously thought that their walled city would protect them. See, to be saved, Rahab had to break away from her people, her culture, her source of income. And although that is never easy, she must have wrestled with her decision. By faith, she made that break. But it's still true today. Saving faith means making a distinct break from this evil world so that we often stand out as maybe strange or weird in the eyes of this world. But notice that Rahab's faith was an obedient faith. James 2.25 lists Rahab next to Abraham as one of those who was justified by works. James is not denying justification by faith alone, but rather is making the point that genuine faith always results in good works. Her faith led her to hide the spies and send them away secretly, even though it put her life at great risk. She had to obey the explicit instructions that the spies gave her to put the scarlet rope in her window and to have all of her family inside the house with her in order for them to be saved. It may have seemed silly to them to watch Israel marching silently around the city for 13 times. They may have been tempted to join others on the wall shouting insults to the people below, but they obeyed. And because of that, they were saved. Granted, Rahab's faith was not a perfect in obedience. She was a pagan woman from a pagan culture, and it was difficult, a difficult situation when the king's messengers came to her house and looked for the two spies, so she lied. I mean, lying is a sin, even when it is for a good cause. But God was gracious to take Rahab's obedient faith as seen in her welcoming the spies. See, if you, if you will come to Christ in faith just as you are, He saves you and then begins to work His holiness into your life. See, Rahab's faith resulted in her pagan family being saved. We don't know for certain that her family was saved spiritually, although I, I think that is probable. We do know that they were saved physically from destruction at Jericho and they became a part of the people of God. God can use the salvation of an unlikely person like Rahab to reach an entire family through her faith. Rahab's faith also brought her into covenant with God and with his people. You know, Matthew Henry, he comments, he says, A true believer is desirous not only to be in covenant with God, but in communion with the people of God, and is willing to cast his lot with them and to fare as they fare. 
You know, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew 1, it includes the surprising fact that Rahab married a Jewish man, Salmon. And they had a son, Boaz, who married Ruth. And their son, Obed, was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So Rahab the harlot became an ancestor of Jesus Christ. (laughs) What a great testimony of God's abundant grace. You see, Rahab's faith changed her life from futility to fruitfulness. Prostitution is never glamorous. Matter of fact, it's ugly. Prostitutes are never respected for what they do. And when their bodies become too old to be attractive, they're, and they're out of work, they're lonely, and they end up unloved. See, God reclaims the lives of the worst of sinners who turn to Him in repentance and in faith. Rahab married. She became a mother and a grandmother. She became a partaker of all of Israel's spiritual privileges and even became linked to Jesus Christ Himself. Any life outside of Christ is futile and headed for eternal destruction. Any life that God saves by His grace through faith becomes fruitful and headed for eternal glory. See, Jericho is a picture of this evil world opposed to God. Either you are by faith on God's side with some Jerichos in your life that you need to conquer or you are comfortably living in Jericho thinking that you are safe but you're actually headed for destruction whether you know it or not. Whichever describes your situation, the key to victory is faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross in your place will deliver you from the coming destruction. If you're in God's camp, faith in His mighty power will give you victory over the intimidating enemies that threaten to destroy you. What great opportunities, disguised as insoluble problems, do you face today? God has whatever resources you need in order to overcome them. All I can tell you is trust in Him. Put your faith and trust in God. You know, as I wrap up, I just want to thank you so much for tuning in today. And we're going to continue our study next week in Hebrews chapter 11. So until then, I hope you stay safe and enjoy God's creation. Our God is an awesome God and worthy of our praise. I hope to see you soon. This is Ridge Adams from Memorial Baptist Church, Temple, Texas. May God bless you as you continue to seek His face.